Hello, I'm Alex Newman and you're listening to the first in a series of short podcasts on investing in natural resources in which I speak to the chief executives of London listed companies involved in mining. So today I'm joined by Julian Traeger, chief executive director at Anglo Pacific, a mining royalty finance company which we followed for several years. So Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I wonder if you could just start by explaining how mining royalty companies work and maybe explain why a miner might agree in the first place to give away some of their earnings rather than going to the markets to raise equity or to lenders to take on borrowings. Yeah, with pleasure. Well, I think the royalties work by us paying amount over in exchange for the right to a percentage of the revenues of the mine itself. So it's linked to the amount of production and obviously the price of the commodity sold. Miners do that because it's an attractive way of financing their business, which doesn't put debt on the balance sheet, but allows them to get income through the door in a not too expensive fashion. And there really are actually two forms of royalty funding. One is directly with the miner, but also there are second-hand royalties, which we also invest in. And that's another big market, which is not very liquid. And so we are in a good position to monetize those instruments. How do you get hold of these potential royalty opportunities? Is it all off-market or are there auctions for royalty streams? You know, again, there are various types of royalties and certainly the gold and silver royalty market is much more competitive and there are more auction-like processes involved Mm -hmm. there. We tend to focus on non-precious, on the bulk and base commodities. And actually there, there are relatively few competitors globally. So almost all the processes that I've been involved with have been bilateral negotiations, which have been actually much less competitive. And we get the call because we're one of the few companies in the world doing these sorts of royalties. And people know that if they want to get funding for that sort of mine or they want to sell that sort of royalty, we're in that market. As you said there, you're not in gold and silver in a huge way, which is fairly atypical for royalty companies. So where is your focus then? There's a focus both in terms of jurisdiction and then in commodities. So jurisdiction, because these royalties are very long term and you can't sell them very easily, we tend to stick to very safe jurisdictions. We have big exposure to Australia, some exposure to Brazil, some exposure to Spain, some exposure to Canada. And we're quite comfortable with that range of risk in terms of country. Commodity-wise, I've inherited a company which has quite a lot of exposure to coal, and we're trying to diversify away from that exposure, although, as you know, coal is doing actually very well this year. And so our focus is on growing more the base commodities like copper, uh, nickel, zinc, maybe uranium, and trying to diversify the coal exposure. Okay. Some listeners might hear the word coal and be a bit worried in terms of the longevity of the industry or concerns about carbon pricing and so forth. Why has coal firstly been a bright spot this year? And and secondly, where do you see the the industry going in the the years ahead? Coal is quite a complex commodity, Mm. and I think there are different types of coal. Uh, We are actually exposed to both the coal that's used to create energy, which is called thermal coal, and the coal that's used to create steel, which is called met coal. Our met coal exposure is more significant than our thermal coal exposure. And met coal is a relatively scarce commodity. And as China continues to industrialize, and if indeed the next president of the United States starts to refurbish their infrastructure, there's going to be a lot of demand for steel. There's a lot of new iron ore coming onto the market to help produce that steel. But coal 
in the form of met coal is relatively scarce. And so I think as China has recently been tightening up on the amount of dirty and small mines there, that's actually created a shortage in met coal. And as you know, in the short term, the met coal price has more than doubled this year. I think the situation with thermal coal is different. There again, I think one needs to distinguish between cheap, polluting, dirty thermal coal and cleaner, purer, less polluting thermal coal. Unfortunately, we are in the good part of Mm. the thermal coal market. So there's definitely long-term demand for our coal. And what I think people in the UK are less aware of is that demand for clean thermal coal continues to grow quite strongly in Southeast Asia. And so all of our coals produced in Australia, and it goes to customers in Korea, Japan, and China. So there's a definitely thriving market for that. And in fact, both of our coal mines that we're exposed to are increasing production, which suggests that the owners of those coal companies are confident that there's growing demand for those products. Both those, those companies, so it's Whitehaven and, is it, and, and, Rio, and Rio Tinto, Tinto yes. uh, growing their production. But in some ways, you mean you're quite beholden to what those miners decide to do in any given year, are you not? Well, I think one of the disadvantages of the royalty models that we don't control the mining companies and they obviously plan uh, according to their desires on the other hand generally they invest vast fortunes in order to produce the mines and their primary incentive is to get as much profitable production out there as quickly as possible so i think we are aligned in that way i think the great benefit of the royalty model is that on the other hand we're not exposed to the day-to-day issues that mining companies have. So if their costs go up or if their capital expenditure is much higher than they expected, that doesn't affect us as long as they keep producing and selling their underlying commodities. Excellent. So I mean you're I mean you're you know you're a relatively small office just based in London, aren't you? There's where well, you have a was it eleven at last count? Yes, I, I think that's another virtue of the royalty model, which is that ideally once you've written the royalty or bought the royalty Theoretically, you sit back and collect the checks for a long period of time. You don't have to do much. Obviously, life isn't as simple as that. And we continue to monitor these royalties, audit them. And from time to time, we have issues that we need to deal with. But it is a model which is easily scalable and very Mm. light in terms of central uh, costs. And that means that even with our small team today, we could actually handle a portfolio which was many multiples larger than what we currently own. You don't have really exposure to precious metals in a big way. Are you not in some ways, and this is arguably true of many of the big diversified miners, are you not uh, geared to the lurches in Chinese demand, which has seen prices, you know, soar and then tank and then come back a little bit this year? Are you not still very, very geared into the Chinese demand story? Well, well, first of all, I mean, I think precious commodities also lurch. Uh, They lurch according to whatever Janet Yellen's supposed to be doing today or tomorrow. So I think all commodities by their nature are cyclical. Uh, I think the key is to look and get exposure to commodities where you think longer term there are supply-demand imbalances. And actually, my personal view with respect to the commodity environment was that In the past couple of years during the super cycle, we saw a demand shock. In fact, China grew faster and needed more commodities than people previously expected. I think going forward, the shock is likely to be different. And I think it's more likely to be in the form of a supply shock. 
but it continues to be that dynamic between supply and demand which drives pricing. And so I think there are commodities where Chinese growth may or may not be there in terms of demand, but actually it's becoming clearer that supply will be shrinking and therefore pricing could still be high. So I I think, you know, mining investing is not for the cautious, you have to know what you're doing, but you can create a lot of value if you proceed according to those clear rules. One commodity which speaks to that is is uranium, which you're uh, exposed to in I think is it two key assets. So you have yes, Australia. we have we, ha- yeah. we have a we have a producing royalty in the form of four mile in Australia, mm. and then we have another one which is in the very early stages of being developed in Spain in the form of Berkeley Energia. We believe longer term, but we're talking more like 2018, that the market for uranium could become much tighter as the stockpiles which nations have had as a result of the nuclear issues start to run off. And I think the Chinese are developing a much more smaller, more mobile form of reactor, which is less dependent upon water and more dependent upon salt, which means it can be built in many different areas. So clearly, you know, the Hinkley Point thing is an example of a very old-fashioned, very large nuclear facility, which is probably get outmoded and it's Mm. going to be replaced by much smaller, more mobile issues. But we think that that will, in turn, lead to uh, increased demand for uranium. Let's uh, talk uh, sort of finally about dividends because, I mean, the investment case, I suppose, for a mining royalty company is is largely that shareholders are going to get some returns, quite regular returns. And in the case of of Anglo-Pacific, you've set a medium-term objective of about 6p well, I think we've dividends. set a short-term objective short-term. of six P. Okay. I think we've set a medium-term objective of returning sixty-five percent of an, of our adjusted income to shareholders, and hopefully, if the very significant rises in coal that we've seen this year stick, that will bring forward the time at which we might be able to raise our dividends. So, I think. We strongly believe that we need to pass the income we get through to our our shareholders. That's why Anglo-Pacific is such an attractive vehicle for pensioners and for income funds. But I think what's worth noting is that our yield even today is 6%, Mm. uh, whereas the yield on um, many other mining companies and certainly the precious royalty companies is much, much lower. Is that a function of the market not fully appreciating the investment case of Anglo-Pacific or is it some caution perhaps linked to the fact that in, in, at points in the past year dividends weren't entirely covered by earnings? I think it's mostly a, a function of the fact that the dividend you know, wasn't covered and the market takes some time to mm. be convinced that it's safe to go back. But I think we've indicated that we expect the dividend to be covered very shortly. And as I say, depending upon the fourth quarter um, coking coal price fix. That could happen very soon. And I think that will be a trigger for a a re-evaluation of of Anglo-Pacific, which globally is one of the few ways in which you can play the Met Coal uh, market. Most of the mining coal companies have gone into Chapter 11 and are private now. 
And so uh, us together with tech are one of the few ways you can get exposure to what's turning out to be a very interesting sector. Excellent. And just finally, I mean, are there any commodities where you're quite keen to get some extra exposure to? I mean, copper is one that touted in a couple of years' time is going to move into a deficit. Is that where you'd like to? Yes, I think copper is, is one. You know, I think zinc is obviously this year clearly becoming increasingly in short supply and in demand because of the closure of some significant zinc mines. But we're continually assessing the markets and trying to see where the pinch points will be and then getting in there before its flavour of the month. Mm, excellent. Well, Julian Trigger, love to talk to you. Thank you so much for um, coming on. And uh, I'll be back with another chief executive in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.